0: Thank you, Margaret, and good morning, everyone. Um, Let's just pray over this passage, over Scripture, before we consider it together. God spoke through the last prophet of the Old Testament, Malachi, saying, See, I will send my messenger, who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. And Lord Almighty, we believe that the forerunner, the messenger, has come. The one before whom he came has also come. Yet may today we prepare our hearts, our homes, and this house for him. Amen. Well, it's a very um, joyful time, of course, in the Warren household, isn't it? Just at the moment, with the birth on Thursday morning, uh, baby Jonathan. What a fantastic name to give him! Yeah. What, uh, what an honour! Yeah. Yeah. Don't encourage me. <laughs> For him, um, and uh, yes, joy uh, in their hearts and in our hearts. And we're here this morning to share in the celebration of another but much older birth, uh, not a couple of days ago but a couple of thousand years ago, but still relevant and important and exciting for us today. Zechariah must have thought all his Christmases had come all at once, considering the gifts that he received on the birth of his son, because he received well, at least four gifts I can think of. Firstly, the gift of that son so longed for by Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, both well on in years, as the Bible politely puts it, beyond the the age of childbearing, and yet God has given them a longed-for son. Another gift that Zechariah has received is the gift of his voice back. Zechariah has been silent for... uh, at least nine months. Remember that the angel had appeared to him and promised him that his wife would conceive and would bear a child, and Zechariah doubted that message. Uh, Andrew's looking worried. He wants me to move this where? Just further over there. try that. Happier? More comfortable for you? It was fine for me. <laughs> I could hear every word. Um, gifts for Zechariah. A uh, gift of a son, John, who had become known as John the Baptist. Uh, the gift of his voice, which he had lost uh, for uh, at least nine months uh, in response to his disbelief of the angel's promise that he and his wife would have a son. And so he's been given that nine months, not so much as a, as a punishment, I don't think, as a time for reflection. Oh, goodness, how well he's used that time. Because the third gift he's received uh, at this time, um, eight days uh, after the birth of John, uh, the day when they came, all came together for circumcision, was the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see in verse uh, 67, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And then at the same time for a fourth gift, He receives from the Holy Spirit the gift of prophecy. So it's uh, full of gifts, a time full of gifts for Zechariah. And uh, filled thus with the Holy Spirit and filled with the gift of prophecy, he therefore prophesies. And this is what we call the Benedictus or Zechariah's song as it's headed in our Bibles. And so there's our passage again, Luke chapter 1, verses 57 to 80, that Margaret read for us a few moments ago. It was page um, 1027 in the church Bibles. Please do have that open in front of you. And I'd like to pinpoint that verse, that question. The neighbors and the relatives who came together eight days after the birth of John were so struck by the circumstances of his birth. They saw that it was so auspicious that they thought that this baby must be headed for something really rather remarkable. And they asked the question, what then is this child going to be? Zechariah seems to have taken John in his arms and then prophesied over him. And it's so typical of this first chapter of Luke that he spends the first, I think, eight verses of his prophecy not talking about his baby at all, but talking about another baby (laughs) who would be born in six months' time, Jesus. And he gets around to speaking to, addressing his own child, Do you see in verse 76, and you, my child. But then he begins to answer the question under the influence of the Holy Spirit, with the gift of prophecy, he begins to answer the question that everybody was asking, who, or rather what, is this baby going to grow up to be? So let's see how the, their question is answered by Zechariah's song of phrase. Well, one thing that we learn So I'm focusing particularly now on verses 76 to 79. One thing we learn is that this child, John, is going to be a prophet. Do you see in verse 76? You, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. And all the way through, you can count, well, I haven't counted up, but maybe a dozen or more times in Luke chapter 1, there is an explicit or implicit contrast between Jesus, who was yet to be born, and John the Baptist, who has just been born. And every time, John is made to be great, but Jesus is made to be greater. And exactly so now. John will be a prophet of the Most High. What a lofty title. But Jesus, earlier, has been prophesied as being the Son of the Most High always the contrast between the two, the forerunner and the Lord himself. And so, when we look to the beginning of the fulfillment of that prophecy, uh, about 30 years later, in chapter 3, we read after a six-point date stamp. Luke tells us exactly when this happened, because Luke is very keen on persuading us, all his readers, that this is history, this happened in time and space, we read then these momentous words. The word of God came to, son, to John, son of Zechariah. He was a prophet. And how might we characterize John as a prophet? I would pick out the word fearless. He was a fearless prophet. You need to be fearless to be a prophet. Because sometimes you will say or do things that people will find unpopular or even deeply offensive. Herod, King Herod, was fascinated by John's preaching and loved to hear him preach. But he was also stung by it because Herod had taken um, his brother's wife, Herodias, and married her. The kind of thing that I think in our modern society, possibly even in our modern church, we might not be too bothered about. But John said to Herod, It's unlawful for you to take your brother's wife and marry her. And he paid for that with his life, his head on a platter. You know that story, don't you? He was a fearless prophet. Now, I'm not saying that uh, we who teach and preach here at Holy Trinity should go out of our way to be offensive and upset our hearers. But I reflect on 20 or more years of preaching at Holy Trinity, and I ask myself how fearless I am in my own preaching, because I know in my heart I hate confrontation. I like being light, And it's a weakness for a teacher. I think in my time, I've only knowingly offended three people. Maybe four. (laughs) It's not enough, really, is it? (laughs) No, I'm not going to set out to offend. No preacher's set out to offend. But sometimes the Word of God does offend those who do not wish to hear God speaking to them. And I would suggest to you that... um, Um, an occasional offensiveness is better than a perpetual inoffensiveness. Pray and expect and encourage your preachers here at Trinity to be more fearless in their preaching. And will you be a fearless congregation who is not afraid of hearing God's word, whether it comforts or cajoles you? A fearless prophet. What else was John from this passage? He was going to be a forerunner, one who comes before, who prepares the way. Do You see that in verse 76. You will go on, Zechariah says in his prophecy. You will go on before the Lord and prepare the way for Him. Again, fulfilled in chapter three and verse four, where John's own message is, "Prepare the way for the Lord." I think it's a clearer translation than prepare the way of the Lord. It's preparing the way for the Lord. And we might consider again this Advent season, this Christmas season, how we might prepare our own hearts and this church and invite others to prepare the way for the Lord to come and visit and speak and be with them. Again, not just a forerunner, but a humble forerunner. If you are a fearless, a strong, fearless, outspoken man like John the Baptist, you might imagine it was difficult to be humble and easy to be arrogant and proud. But John was humble. He knew his place. Chapter 3 and verse 16, he said of Jesus, the thongs of his sandals I am not worthy to untie. And again in John chapter 3, he was quite clear, I am not the Christ, but I'm sent ahead of him. He must become greater, I must become less. And whatever your Christian ministry, your Christian gifts, and whatever mine, shouldn't we be seeking to work uh, and minister in that spirit too, of drawing attention away from ourselves, and pointing constantly uh, to Christ. You can help your preachers. We love feedback, by the way, but if you give us feedback, whether positive or negative, and we need both, can you please make sure that you say less about how wonderful <laughs> we might be occasionally, and but how wonderful we have made Christ to be in our teaching and in our preaching and so promote humility in us all. And a fourth thing from this passage that John was going to be was a herald, a herald of good news, trumpeting the good news, the gospel. You see in verse 77, to give his people the knowledge of salvation. And what a precious word that is. And not just a word, but at least three pictures conjured up in these verses, of the salvation. A salvation that involves debts cancelled. That's implied in verse 77, which talks about remission of sins, the cancelling of debts. Your debts, your sins, your transgressions and mine, uh, paid in full by somebody, by the only one who could afford to pay that debt. There's the picture in verse 78 of darkness banished the light of life, Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. Zechariah foresees this as one which uh, John would preach and Jesus would embody. Darkness banished, darkness turned to light, night turned to day. And then in verse 79, uh, uh, another beautiful picture, that of footsteps guided. Guide our feet into the path of peace. The empowerment to live lives that enjoy and exude the peace of God. And not just a herald, but a faithful herald. John's knowledge was limited. Jesus said a very remarkable thing about John. He said that he was the greatest among all the sons of men, and yet even John was not as great as the least in the kingdom of God. Why so? John was the greatest of all who'd come before because he, all the others, Isaiah and Micah and Malachi and all the others, had pointed into the far distance to Christ. John was great because he could say, there he is. He's standing right in front of you. The least in the kingdom of God is greater still because we know Christ in his fullness. We know what John didn't know. The death, the resurrection, the ascension, and the glory of the risen and living Christ. John, but John was faithful to all that he did know. And so in Luke chapter 3, I'm uh, interested in these words. Um, when uh, he's, uh, Amongst other things, he's, he says to his fellow Jews, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath and then he speaks of Jesus, he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. You know, this slightly amuses me, when at the end of all this, and it isn't all heart-hitting like that, there's some easy things in there as well, but it includes very hard hitting words like that, at the end of this we are told, and with many other words, John exhorted people and preached the good news to them. Not all of that sounded very much like good news, did it? But he was faithful, And he knew that faithful warnings are as much part of the good news as warm words of comfort and reassurance. Will we be faithful? Will we require and expect and encourage and pray for our teachers and preachers to be faithful to the whole of the gospel, the whole of the word of God? Which means then being open to the goodness and the severity of God, the loftiness and also the fallenness of human nature, the word of God and the spirit of God, the gifts and the graces of that Holy Spirit, the costs and the privileges of Christian discipleship, Christ our substitute and Christ our example. Salvation experience now, but also not yet. Our destiny, the new heavens and the new earth. Well, there's an agenda there to last us in our teaching ministry for uh, a long time to come. But will we be seeking to be faithful in the coming days, weeks and, and months to the whole gospel, the whole word of God? so we can testify, as Paul did to the Ephesian elders, I didn't shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. That's what John sought to do with his limited knowledge, and that's what we must seek to do with our more enlarged knowledge and experience. So, this Christmas. On Friday evening the presenters of BBC's One programme and their guests wandered into All Souls Langham Place, some of you saw this, in the middle of their carol service. Well, let's say wandered in, I think they had an invitation. But they they entered halfway through, partway through the carol service. What's his name? Matt Baker? Is that his name? Matt Baker stuck a microphone in the face of the Reverend Hugh Palmer and said, Hugh, It's been a difficult year for many people. What's your message for them? And Hugh had a minute, (laughs) or thereabouts, to declare a message, to use that priceless opportunity. Now, you and I are not Hugh Palmer. We're certainly not John the Baptist, but each one of us will have opportunities this Christmas to point people to Jesus. Those opportunities will occur in ways that they often won't occur in other times of the year. Will we point them to Jesus in the spirit of John the Baptist, with the fearlessness of a prophet, with the humility of a forerunner, and with the faithfulness of a herald? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we have such good news in this place, in our hearts. We ask that you would, as you gave Zechariah a voice, that you give us a voice, and not just a voice, but a heart too, this Christmas, to praise you from the bottom of our hearts and to point to our wonderful Lord Jesus with all of the Power and persuasiveness and love of which we are capable, empowered by you and your spirit. Amen.